0: From News Talk 580-1059-KMJ, this is the Maddie Report, Valley Views Edition. Now here's your host, Mark Kepler.
1: Funding for the Maddie Report is made possible by grants from the California Emerging Technology Fund, leaders in the quest for digital equity. The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Fresno State Associated Students, Inc., Students Serving Students, BNSF Railway, Moving Our Economy for 160 Years, and The Wonderful Company. The Maddie Report is also made possible thanks to contributions from Harris Ranch Inn and Restaurant and E&J Gallo Winery.
2: As well as the Bonner Family Foundation, Community Medical Centers, Dewey Square Group, Comcast Financial Agency, Nassiman LLP, Sagasar, Watkins and Wheeland, and Valley Children's Hospital.
1: From the Maddie Institute, the Public Policy Institute for the Valley's four public universities, this is the Maddie Report with Executive Director of the Maddie Institute, Mark Kepler.
2: Welcome. The Valley has many attributes. One of its biggest challenges, however, is air pollution. Uh, How do we deal with that problem? Our guest is going to help us navigate this issue she is Rachel Becker, environmental reporter with Cal Matters. Welcome back to the Matter Report.
3: Oh, thank you for having me.
2: So, listen. Let me ask you about. Um, it seems like we've been talking about air quality forever in the valley and in the state, in particular. Um, what is the current situation? What are the costs involved?
3: So California has some of the worst air quality in the country. Um, Los Angeles, Visalia, Bakersfield, Fresno, and the Bay Area regularly top the American Lung Association's rankings of the most polluted cities for ozone, which is a key component of smog, uh, and also for tiny particles of air pollution that can lodge in the lungs and travel into the bloodstream. Uh, All told, about 92% of Californians live in places that violate federal ozone and fine particulate standards, Um, and both are just bad news for people's health. You know, ozone forms when emissions from smokestacks, tailpipes, consumer products, um, when they stew in the sun, which we have plenty of in California. Uh,
2: yeah, in, this, in the Valley, we've got this unique topography, right? We've got mountains on every side. Um, we've got certain sources like with, with diesel, whether it's to trucks, or irrigation, pump, et cetera. So lots of things that contribute to it. There's lots of uh, agencies, though, that are set up to deal with this problem. So we've got the federal EPA, Environmental Protection Agency. We've got the California Air Resources Board. We've got the San Joaquin Valley Air Pollution Control District. What are each one of them doing?
3: Yeah, I mean, you've really hit the nail on the head. Air pollution regulations come from this complicated assortment of agencies that sort of fit together like a nesting doll. Um, You've got the federal government setting and enforcing healthy air standards and regulating pollution from trains, ships, airplanes, you know, things that cross state lines. Uh, And you've got local air districts in charge of things like factories, refineries, uh, the wood stove in your house. Uh, and then in between, you've got the California Air Resources Board, um, which is the state's clean air agency, and um, it's in charge of regulating vehicles on the state's roads. So cars, trucks, buses, off-road equipment. Uh, and because of California's historically terrible air quality, the state's air board really has um, outsized power, and it's really led the country on cleaning up transportation pollution for decades. Um, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, California has been been a leader. Um, and, and now it's kind of reemerging with now with with the Biden administration. Um, it's now reemerging as its leader again for the nation. I want to ask you about, you know, the valley in particular, you know, like a lot of areas in California, the main source of pollution is auto emissions, the L.A. basin, for example. In the valley, though, diesel uh, pollution is a is a big source of, of air pollution. Think locomotives, think diesel trucks going up and down 99 or I-5, think uh, irrigation pumps. Um, Now, you've written about a new study that was published in the journal Science that indicates that California's diesel rules have likely saved a lot of lives. So what what, what were the findings?
3: Yeah, this was a really interesting study uh, conducted by Megan Schwartzman at the University of California, Berkeley, and other researchers at UCSF and state agencies. And basically what this team found was that federal policies requiring cleaner burning engines, cleaner fuels for trucks and buses and trains and ships and heavy equipment. Those federal rules cut diesel particulates nationwide by 51% from 1990 to 2014. But California, which is the nation's biggest diesel polluter, cut diesel particulate pollution by 78%. And that's despite a 20% increase in diesel fuel use, which means California's engines were burning cleaner. And this had major implications for public health. So the researchers crunched some numbers based on previous studies that had linked pollution to increased premature deaths from heart and lung problems. And they found that premature deaths linked to diesel pollution dropped by 82% in California during that time period. And then the question is, how much of that is really due to California's policies, right? And so the study authors found that had the state followed federal rules only and not had its own collection of of diesel pollution policies, um, the diesel particulates would have contributed to the premature deaths of twice as many people in 2014 than are estimated to have actually died.
2: Yeah, I think I mean, there was over 500 people, uh, 500 more people would have died. So That's, that's the real numbers. Uh, I want to ask you, though, it's, you know, you report that while there's been significant reductions in diesel pollution in certain sectors, particularly uh, marine diesel, so like around the ports, they've dropped 51% between 2008 and 2014. The reductions in, in diesel pollution from ag equipment, which produces about 18% of the state's uh, diesel uh, pollution from vehicles, made up less than 1% of the drop uh, in diesel pollution. Why?
3: Yeah, that's the big question. I mean, California saw huge drops in diesel pollution from heavy duty trucks, from ships, uh, even though California is limited in how far it can regulate emissions from ships. But as for agriculture, the study didn't really look into why that sector hasn't seen such significant reductions. Some of it could be that the study's numbers didn't include emission drops from voluntary engine replacements. And there are uh, incentive programs that have cut thousands of tons of diesel particulate pollution from from agricultural engines and and off-road equipment. But there's clearly more work to be done in that space, which the study authors said just hasn't been tackled as aggressively in California.
2: Yeah, it's just, you know, it comes down to cost, right? Um, can you do it cost effectively? And we're going to talk about a similar topic in a moment. That's ag burning, something that's unique to the Valley's air pollution. Um, State saying that's going to stop, but are the alternatives they're offering actually workable? That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. We're talking with Rachel Becker of CalMatters about the Valley's persistent air quality challenges Is it something that we just have to accept living in the Valley or is it something that we can actually address in a meaningful way? For example, as the nation's leading agricultural region, the Valley is highly dependent on agribusiness yet ag burning, burning of tens of thousands of waste in Valley vineyards and orchards also contributes to the poor air quality in in the region. So Rachel, how big is the problem of of ag burning in the state generally in in the Valley in particular?
3: Ag burning is a practice uh, that's conducted statewide. Um, it produced about six tons of fine particulate pollution per day on average in 2017, which doesn't sound like that much until you realize that that's equivalent to about 12 million cars. Uh, and about a third of that came from the San Joaquin Valley where ag burning produces about 4% of the particle pollution in the region. Um, you know, For scale, cars and trucks make up about 10% and dust Uh, which really blew me away, including from ag and construction, driving on unpaved roads. That makes up a whopping 46 percent. But, you know, the numbers don't really tell the full story for folks who live nearby where the smoke from ag burning can trigger asthma attacks and really impact their quality of life. So I spoke with one family whose daughter is on daily asthma medication Mm -hmm. and still ended up in the hospital during an agricultural burn, you know, more than once.
2: You know, that's kind of kind of the maddening thing about air pollution in the valley, right? You said, you know, dust, 46% of the pollution comes from dust. Now you can do something about roads, you can I guess water them or do something to, to lower the dust there. But in the fields, it is what it is, I, I guess. It would be very that's a very difficult thing to deal with. But let's let's kind of talk a little bit about, about Ag Burn again. There's been it's not that farmers don't want to deal with this problem, it's that how do you deal with this this waste? What's what's a cost effective way to deal with it? Are are there ways to deal with this that's more or more environmentally sensitive?
3: Yeah, so burning really is the easiest way to get rid of agricultural waste, you know, burn back weeds, deal with diseased crops, uh, clear land. Uh, But there are pricier alternatives, such as chipping trees, uh, vines, prunings, and then mixing them back into the earth. Um, and there are advantages to doing it this way. So one almond grower I talked to um, has chipped an entire almond orchard and then turned it back into the soil. And she told me that the new orchard that went in on that soil is doing great. And the science really you know, backs that up. Uh, recycling... Almond orchards has been shown to increase the organic matter in the soil, uh, make it better at holding on to water, which is just you know so critical in California. Um, and chipping also means that growers don't have to wait until burn days. So when the air is good and the weather conditions are right uh, to clear away the waste piles, you know, you can just chip them. but. They are much more expensive than lighting a match. And so really every grower I talked to said that financial assistance is going to be really key for smaller operations.
2: Yeah, I think in, in your article, I was reading that the quotes are anywhere between $1,200 and $2,200 uh, to set up the equipment and then another $700 per acre to do it. It's, it's expensive. Uh, yeah. And some of these small farms are kind of on the edge. It's, it's something they have a hard time dealing with. But the state has now set up new rules on ag burning. What are the new rules on ag burning?
3: Yeah, and and specifically in the San Joaquin Valley. So, you know, we talked about that nesting doll of of clean air agencies. And so burning typically falls under local air district control, which really limits how much California's uh, Clean Air Agency, the the Air Resources Board, can weigh in. But the San Joaquin Valley is different um, because 17 years ago, um, State Senator Dean Flores, who's now a member of the Air Board, authored a bill aiming to phase out burning by 2010, but it included, you know, a really key caveat that the phase out had to be economically feasible. And so the Valley has phased out burning for a number of crops, including field crops like wheat and most rice stubble and prunings from certain fruit trees. But over the years, the state has granted, you know, multiple extensions of the law's deadline to ban burning altogether. And so at the end of February, the Air Board really kind of cracked down and agreed to allow some burning to continue until 2025, uh, but provided that the local air district really phases out burning of certain crops more quickly, and then sets limits on how much material can be burned every year, and then after 2025, you know, no more burning, except for a few exceptions in the case of disease and for certain weeds.
2: Yeah. And the other problem is you know, they think, well, biomass facilities can help deal with this problem. The problem is that they're shutting down. So there are fewer places to go with your biomass. So that becomes a problem. Real quickly, we've got a few seconds left in this segment. I want to ask you, though, those growers, particularly small farms, are they you see financial aid being given to them to deal with this problem?
3: That's you know, that's what Board member Dean Flores is really hoping to see in the May revision of the proposed state budget. So I think really it's a it's a case of staying tuned and, and keeping watch.
2: Okay. Well, up next, uh, California has adopted a myriad of policies to curb air pollution uh, that address the issue also of climate change. Are they working? That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Heffler with the Maddie Institute. In 2016, California pledged to cut its climate warming pollution by 40% by 2026. What's the likelihood that's going to happen? Our guest is Rachel Becker, an environmental reporter with CalMatters. Um, so first, Rachel, it looks like California may have a problem reaching its goal, at least according to a recent report by the state auditor. Um, what did she have to say? What were the findings?
3: Yeah, transportation is the biggest source of greenhouse gases in California. And the state has this mix of both Direct regulation and incentive programs to really help cut that pollution. Uh, and sometimes these efforts overlap. So you might have one policy that says, you know, a certain proportion of vehicles uh, that a car maker sells in the state have to be zero emission. And, you know, another might offer rebates to Californians who buy these vehicles. And so the problem, the auditor said, is that the airport is really falling short by failing to measure how much additional reductions come from the rebates and other incentive programs and you know whether these programs really actually lead people to buy cleaner vehicles.
2: So so the the key issue here is I think what when you read the report, because I did take a look at the report, those are long reports, but when I took a look at it, it seemed like she was particularly concerned with how the data was being collected and used or not. I mean a lot of this is you know numbers drive proposals and solutions and if they're not collecting the right numbers are inadequate, uh, or the overlap, that's really an issue.
3: Yeah, exactly. It basically boils down to, and I'm going to quote the state auditor here, basically that the the Air Board has not done enough to measure the greenhouse gas emission reductions uh, that its incentive programs achieve.
2: Yeah. So the the, the state auditor was also saying, she's warning that um, California may not meet its greenhouse gas goals of 40% uh, reduction by 2030 if it doesn't, quote unquote, pick up the pace. Uh, for example, uh, emissions from transportation have actually increased since 2013. And the report calls that a quote unquote problematic trend. Um, so what are this state auditor's key recommendations? What does she think we ought to be doing?
3: Yeah, the, the recommendations really came down to calling for better measurements from the Board. So that means identifying, you know, which programs overlap with each other, and then coming up with a strategy to evaluate whether these programs really drive people to use cleaner transportation, and then using the, that information, that better data, to refine the Board's estimates of, of these programs' effects on greenhouse gases.
2: Yeah, it's, it seems like also, you know, experts are also a little concerned about whether the cap and trade program is really going to be enough to, to meet um, the, st- the state's goals. I mean, the reality is that as we get cleaner, right, that number is going to start coming. The money they're going to receive in those auctions are going to start coming down.
3: Exactly. And that's a major source of funding for for incentive programs um, from the California Air Resources Board. And so um, the state will have to get a lot more intentional about um, which projects it funds and how effective those are, and so that was really kind of a, a a key theme that ran through the auditor's report: is that this money is finite, and so the the state needs to figure out how best to spend it.
2: So this is you know no one wants to get audited. The, the word audit just you know right probably doesn't make anybody feel happy. No one wants to be audited, but the Cal Resources Board has been audited by the state auditor. Um, I'm wondering how did they respond to the, the audit and, and the recommendations of the state auditor?
3: Mm-hmm. The, the California Air Resources Board, really, it stood by its methodology, but said, you know, it's committed to collecting and analyzing the information that the auditor asked for. So, you know, I guess we'll see how how this plays out.
2: Yeah. um, Yeah. It's uh, the state has a lot of sway um, at at the state capitol, and I'm sure they're going to pay attention to those recommendations. Well, up next, we're going to talk about the state and federal governments uh, now being controlled by the Democrats. What are they going to do to address the issue of air quality going forward? That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. You know, about 92 percent of all Californians live in places violating the federal clean air standards. The Valley, first and foremost. We're talking with uh, Rachel Becker, who's an environmental reporter with Cal Matters, about future state and federal policies that might be enacted to address this problem. First, I want to say some good news. Um, The good news is that since 1970, new cars, trucks, and buses uh, are roughly 99% cleaner than they were back then. Mary Nichols, uh, the former head of the California Air Resources Board, is probably a big reason for that. She's been involved with environmental policy since it seems like forever, uh, since the 70s. Uh, But she's recently stepped down and she's been replaced by uh, Leanne Randolph, a former commissioner of the California PUC. I'm just wondering what your take is, number one, on Mary Nichols' tenure. And second, what changes you think are going to come about with the new leadership at the at the uh, Air Force Air Resources Board?
3: Yeah, that's really the question, right? How is this agency, this incredibly powerful agency, going to change under new leadership? I mean, Mary Nichols was a huge part of, of the Air Board for years, starting first in the 1970s and then again uh, in 2007. And, you know, in that time, we've seen cars, trucks, buses really clean up their acts, um, you know, portside pollution and rail yard pollution drop, sales of electric vehicles have, have climbed. Um, we also saw that the Air Board launched a a really landmark but also controversial carbon trading program to combat uh, climate change called Cap and Trade. And when there were murmurings that President Joe Biden was considering Nichols to lead the U.S. EPA, environmental justice groups uh, representing those living on the front lines of air pollution wrote to Biden opposing her potential nomination saying that the process of establishing and implementing the cap and trade program really ignored their voices and came at the expense of tackling local air pollution. Um, and it seems like the new chair, uh, Leanne Randolph, has really heard those concerns. Um, and she said that you know, as California evaluates its climate change plans going forward, it's going to work directly with environmental justice groups and community organizations to really ensure that their views are heard and incorporated.
2: Yeah, to be fair, to be fair to Mary Nichols, she she actually pushed back on that. She said that absolutely no evidence that air quality has gotten worse in environment, environmental justice community. So she, she did not agree with that assessment, but be that as it may, um, you know, in addition to the state odds report, you've written that other independent experts have raised concerns about the cap and trade program. that um, it might be too weak to really reach California's uh, air quality and climate goals. Um, what's the assessment there?
3: Yeah, California uh, is relying on cap and trade for nearly half of its promised greenhouse gas cuts in 2030, which is a lot on cap and trade's shoulders. And one big concern is that companies are uh, holding on to those pollution credits to use later and so that when you get up into later years, when it's harder for companies to comply with the cap and trade program, they're going to dig into their piggy bank of allowances instead of making actual cuts. And so. The the head of the California Environmental Protection Agency and Air Resources Board both sort of danced around this at an oversight hearing where they said that the cap and trade program is going to be a key part of the conversation as California updates its climate roadmap over the next few years. Um, But we didn't get much more details than that.
2: It's it's clear there's diminishing returns there with cap and trade. And so the state's gonna have to look for other programs to help reach its goal by 2030. So, what are some other programs that they're looking at? uh, incorporating,
3: yeah, we've come out of, of a we've come out of a big year um, last year. You know, the state set a uh, world first mandates to ramp up the sales of zero emissions trucks and, and buses over the next fifteen years, and is considering requirements for public and private fleets to really incorporate clean vehicles. And so that will you know be a double whammy, uh, cleaning up air pollution and also uh, climate warming greenhouse gases. Um, we also saw Governor Newsom's executive order uh, in September that called on the California Air Resources Board to phase out the sale of new gas-powered cars by 2035. So there's a lot in the works.
2: Yes. I, that that got people's attention for sure, right? Um, but let me say, ask you one last question that is on what the federal response is likely to be. Um, big change, obviously, from a Biden administration, from a Trump administration. What do you anticipate coming out of uh, the Biden administration?
3: President Biden is going to have to do a lot of work to roll back a lot of the Trump era rollbacks. You know, he's promised to do this starting day one and we're already seeing him really start to put his money where his mouth is. Um, His $2 trillion infrastructure proposal included a whopping amount of money set aside for electric vehicle infrastructure, for instance. And it's really in the transportation space that we'll see a a lot of uh, effect for California. Uh, where transportation is a huge air polluter and climate polluter in the state. Um, So President Biden promised to undo the Trump administration's move to revoke California's authority to uh, limit greenhouse gases and tailpipe exhaust and has pledged to set more ambitious fuel economy standards going forward as well. So, you know, I think we'll have to wait and see because the devil's really going to be in the details of these moves.
2: But but clearly a, a sea change in an approach to air quality at the federal level. Um, California, pretty much the same, but the federal level, pretty big change. Well, I want to thank Rachel Becker from Cal Matters for joining us. The San Joaquin Valley Air District is the local agency most identified with improving air quality in the region, and we're fortunate to be joined by its senior policy advisor, Tom Jordan. Welcome to the Matty Report, Tom.
0: Thanks, Mark. Good to be here.
2: So listen, you know, recently the uh, American Lung Association released its annual State of the Air Report, and again, the San Joaquin Valley cities are in the top 10 most polluted cities when it comes to unhealthy ozone days, unhealthy spikes in particulate pollution and annual uh, particle uh, pollution levels. There is however some positive news uh, in the report, and the number of ozone days has generally declined in the valley since the first state of the air report uh, that they released back in 2000. You know, is incremental progress the best we really can realistically expect in terms of air quality in the valley?
0: So uh, the American Lung Association report um, is an effort to you know, greatly simplify very very complex situation, uh, and and to bring attention to the air quality challenges we face, and that's a laudable goal. But I think unfortunately it does mask the the progress that has been made a little bit. Um, I would not uh, describe the progress we've made on air quality as incremental. Um, since the 1980s, uh, emissions of nitrogen oxides or NOx, uh, which is the main driver of ozone in the summertime here and PM. Or particulate matter in the winter time, has been reduced by about ninety percent. Um, so it's been quite substantial um, over those years. We've met the the federal one-hour standard for ozone. We've met the federal uh, PM ten or particulate matter in ten microns and size size stand. Um We've reduced uh, the number of uh, days with the highest ozone readings by ninety percent. Um, so by every measure, really we're breathing the cleanest air we have in our lifetime. Now that's not to declare, you know, mission accomplished and move on. Um, Over time, the federal government that sets air quality standards has tightened those standards as more data has come out on health impacts. And we keep striving to meet those progressively more stringent standards. Uh, It's gonna take a lot of work still, um, but uh, the progress has actually been quite dramatic.
2: You know, I, I hear a little um, a little frustration in your voice about you, you know the lack of recognition of some of the improvements that that have happened uh, in in the district uh, and the, and they and they should be noted um, that they really have, have been improved. We still have a problem with uh, PM two point five, um, and there are some folks, particularly in the environmental justice area, who think that not enough has been done to address uh, air quality issues, particularly in the valley's smaller, poor communities. How would you respond to that?
0: Well, well, I think. Uh given the, the the work that the Maddie Institute has done, you, you, you probably recognize that the Valley faces a number of challenges, um, both demographic uh, financial challenges and environmental challenges, be it water quality, air quality and the like. Um, because of that, we have 20 of the 30 most disadvantaged communities in the state of California based upon the state's model, which is called, called CalEnviroScreen that looks at uh, how impacted communities are by those variety of of issues. Um, The Air District has long advocated for more resources from the state and federal government for those disadvantaged communities, because quite frankly, I think the frustration in a lot of those communities has been years and years and years of neglect from all levels of government uh, to the issues that those communities face. Um, So we definitely recognize that not enough has been done in those communities. Um, Very recently um, over the past, three years or so, there was a new state law, AB 617, uh, which identifies a certain number of communities statewide per year for the air district to do a very intensive planning effort with those communities. Um, The first year, there were two communities in the Valley, um, Shafter and and, and South Central Fresno. Um, Since then, uh, the area around the Port of Stockton has been at it. And then now next year, the, the city of Arvin.
2: Um, Arvin has always been that that case because they're at the, the bottom of the valley down down by Bakersfield, and it seems like the pollution kind of backs up against the mountains there and kind of dumps it on Arvin.
0: Yeah, definitely. And and one of the things that this 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 new program set in place is a very intensive community focused planning effort. And well, let,
2: me um, well, let, let me well two points. I'm one is people don't understand. They were talking about dividing California into various states, right? And they said if you if the San Joaquin Valley was a state, it would be the poorest state in the nation, which, by the way, it would be next to uh, the Bay Area, which would be the richest state in the nation. And I don't people understand the level of poverty in some of these outlying areas in, in the region. The second point is, do these smaller communities have the technical expertise to make changes that are really going to be material or, or do they rely on the air district for that?
0: So so that's it. so as I was mentioning, we are doing this very intensive planning efforts with the communities. and. Um, it's it's been a challenge to bring the technical expertise that we have to the learned expertise that the communities have of what they experience on a day to day basis, and um, we're still learning as we go through those processes. But we've we've developed plans that have been approved by our board by the state um, for for three of those communities and the next year we'll, we'll be doing Arvin um, and we continue to learn as we do that. You know, I think. Um, one of the frustrating parts of that of that effort is these communities face a variety of challenges, whether it be transportation challenges, water quality challenges, um, economic challenges, and we're the air district. We uh, so we can only deal with the air quality pieces of that. We can we can try to reach out to other areas like land use agencies. Yeah, but your,
2: your point your point is well taken though, because these things all interact with each other. It's that you can't discreetly take one out and and you know address it. There's others affect. Uh, they, they affect each other. I mean, let me ask a question about, um, there was a report put out by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration uh, saying that carbon dioxide and uh, methane emissions surged gro- uh, globally in 2020, uh, even amid the coronavirus shutdown. I'm just wondering, have you seen the same increase in the valley?
0: So, um, so w- w- we track more of the criteria pollutants, which um, so methane and carbon dioxide are more of the greenhouse gas issues, which in California are mainly done by the state. but criteria pollutants are the pollutants that harm public health here in the valley we we track. And what we saw during the pandemic was early on, we saw a drop in vehicle miles travel. um so there was definitely a slowdown in how much people traveled, and mobile sources are the largest source of emissions here in the valley. so,
2: um, you think, to that time, I'm just. Want to, I'm sorry for interrupting, but let me, let me just make sure to, our audience understands this. When we talk about mobile sources, there's, you know, there's cars and then there's diesel trucks. You know, in the South and in, in LA, it's cars. In the Valley, isn't it diesel? Diesel the main driver of pollution
0: in the Valley. That, that's a great point, and that's part of where I was going to go. What we saw was a greater reduction in the miles traveled by cars than trucks. So there was a, a, a brief dip in trucks but then as the pandemic went on the the trucking came back relatively quickly and now we see all travel back to pretty much pre pre pandemic levels so well, when you
2: think about Amazon and all the other delivery services you got to wonder is that going to increase pollution i mean i wonder if there's a i don't know if there's been a study saying it's reducing pollution to to call it called, a teleshop i don't know what you call it but um to to shop and have it delivered as opposed to you getting in your car and driving to the place that would be interesting because i think we're moving in that direction clearly i know some of the companies are moving toward You know, uh, electric vehicles to do that, but uh, that seems to be be a big issue. Let let me me talk about another big industry in the valley, and that's ag. Um, There's been a lot of talk around the issue of ag burning. Farmers say it's necessary. Um, Are there ways to economically? uh, Is there are there economically practical alternatives to ag burning?
0: So uh, beginning back in about 2003, there was a state law passed SB 705 that required the valley, only the valley, no other part of the state deals with this issue uh, to to phase out ag burning where economically feasible. And we worked with the ag industry and actually we were successful in phasing out almost 85% of all ag burning. Um, But what's happened is one of the main alternatives that was used during that period was biomass power plants and um public policy has moved in a direction that we've lost each year we've lost more and more of those those plants that we're actually taking that ag waste and burning it in a more controlled environment um so just recently we developed a plan that we took to the state and um to look at the issue and see what could be done and at the carb board hearing there was a desire uh, just for
2: our, for our audience when you say carbon you, i right. know just say that's the California Air Resources Board.
0: Correct. Um, to, to phase out ag burning by 2024. And there was a recognition at that time by the state, as well as the ag industry and us. The only way we're going to be able to do that is is with additional resources. So um, the air district.
2: Additional resources, to be clear, you're talking money.
0: Money. Um, so the air district developed a pilot program to work with ag to do what we call whole whole orchard recycling. So like when someone pulls out an almond orchard, they chip it and reincorporate it back in the ground. It's a very expensive process actually. They have to make multiple passes to put that material down far enough that it it doesn't cause an issue. Um, They need some new uh, advanced um, bioenergy capacity. They need additional equipment. There's about 1.6 million uh, tons of material that has to be dealt with each year. Um, And and so we're currently working with the state through the governor's budget proposal and with the legislature uh, on funding for those alternatives to continue the phase out of ag burning. And I I can tell you the industry has has been very willing to, uh, you know, this isn't a freebie for them. They also have to come with their resources to to participate in this. But they do want to see that commitment uh, from their partners on the government side to make this happen in the coming years.
2: You know, this really speaks to the other issue. It goes to something you talk, spoke about earlier, and that is lack of resources by a lot of the smaller communities in, in the region, a relatively poor economic region. So it's we're going to need some assistance from the state or federal government to address these air quality issues. What would you like to see from the federal or state government? I mean, I'm assuming the quick answer is more dollars.
0: So that is definitely part of it. But um, I think we touched on this when we talked about the impact from the pandemic. Um, mobile sources are now about 85 percent of our problem. And when you look at air quality, um, we develop the plans for our region, but we rely on the actions of a lot of other people. Uh, and in the air quality world, the federal government controls uh, trucks, trains, planes, boats, kind of the interstate commerce type type things. They actually develop the emission standards for those engines. The state does light duty autos, along with the feds and some truck emit. So we need new standards. We need them to drive um, the technology for new equipment but then we need to accelerate how fast that equip- equipment gets deployed here in the Valley. and yeah, that's where, is, where the dollars
2: yeah, I, I want to underscore that for you. And you can kind of talk a little about this. And that is in diesel trucks, right? Um, you and I have talked about this and we've worked on this together in terms of retrofitting older diesel trucks. A lot of, you know, independent drivers keep these trucks forever. Uh, the new diesel trucks are dramatically cleaner than the older diesel trucks. The problem is those older diesel trucks are still being run in the Valley and the cost to retrofit them is more than the truck, Maybe is worth. Um, so, how do you deal with that problem?
0: Yeah, that's definitely true, and that's where the incentive programs. So, the air district um, has been a pioneer in um, in deploying incentives to basically someone has a piece of equipment they're happy using right now, but there's a cleaner one available. So, we we basically provide some money for them to to just scrap or destroy the old piece of equipment and put a new piece, uh, cleaner piece of equipment into use. And for trucks, for tractors, and all those categories, that's the main tool to accelerate the turnover of those fleets.
2: You know, I remember there was, there was one thing, I'm, I'm the, the school district will, will, will not be named, but there was a school district that received quite a bit of money to convert their school bus fleet uh, from, from diesel to natural gas or, or some less polluting source. Uh, they wouldn't accept the money. And wait a second, we're buying you new buses. Their response was: their maintenance people said, "We don't know how to fix these. We don't want them." And so that's that's the other issue. So people think, "Oh, just give them the money; they'll fix the problem." But no, actually, there could be other issues, such as this, uh, where the maintenance staff says, "No." Uh, so there's all kinds of impediments, sometimes hurdles you got to clear to get to point B.
0: Yeah, and those some of those impediments can be actually a positive um, if you add workforce development and job training uh, components to some of these. I mean, we're the the world is moving in this direction of advanced technology vehicles, and if we can be on the leading edge, um, there are opportunities actually uh, in overcoming those challenges.
2: But this underscores our, our earlier point, and that is all of this stuff is interconnected. Um, it's not just you know discrete. Uh, let me ask you this: you know, I want to get your thoughts on the White House plans to cut U.S. emissions um, by at least half um, by twenty thirty? What are the implications for the valley?
0: So. Um, we haven't seen the entire the entirety of that plan. We've we've seen broad strokes, and so we don't know exactly what'll be in it. Um, there will definitely be co-benefits uh, to that activity. Again, they're talking about greenhouse gases, but if you're talking about going to near zero or zero emission technology vehicles, that'll also help us. One of the one of the positives uh, on the time frame is one of the challenges we've had in California. California's become very focused on greenhouse gases and a little bit longer term benefits of, of, of policy like looking more at 2045 2050 our challenges are very near term we're trying to improve public health today or in the next decade and we can't wait a decade for new equipment so the, the one pop one positive is the time frame of that plan lines up better with with our plans and again we're going to have to look at the details but um, but we should see some co-benefits uh, on our issues as well here in the valley.
2: Yeah, one little shout out for talking about uh, alternative modes of transportation or active transportation, as now described. You no, know, something that, frankly, you and I have worked on for for twenty years, um, and that is you know, trails and you know uh, protected bikeways and that kind of thing. You know, the valley, the topography is great. It's flat, right? There aren't hills you got to climb generally, uh, and uh, the weather is generally good. So another option uh, for folks to think about is reconfiguring how they do their planning, city planning to allow for more walking and biking uh, to get people out of their cars. Um, but that's something that, you know, I admit that I've been an advocate for, for for some time. Let me ask this one last question before we leave. And that is a bottom line. Uh, can we solve the Valley's air quality challenges? What's it going to take?
0: So we definitely can solve it. I mean, the Valley's air quality challenges are almost unmatched by anywhere else in the country because of our ge- geography and topography. We're a bowl with the lid on top So we basically need to be the cleanest place in the country to meet health based air quality standards, but we can, we can do it. Um, One of the things that I think is a challenge is, is people look at um, other issues like transportation or other things, and those are infrastructure challenges. And it takes decades to build out that infrastructure. Air quality is really kind of very similar because it's a different type of infrastructure. It's all the engines, equipment, Uh, and things that we rely on to produce power and all those things. And the key is to deploy the cleanest available technology in all those categories. That's very expensive. It takes timeframes. It takes people making capital decisions over decades. Uh, and, And we've seen that happen. And the key is to try to accelerate that process as much as we can.
2: All right. Well, thanks, uh, Tom Jordan with the Air District for joining us. Up next, we're going to hear from a local health expert on how the Valley's air quality is impacting local residents. She is Dr. Tanya Pacheco-Werner, the co-director of Fresno State's Central Valley Health Policy Institute. Welcome to the Maddie Report.
4: Thank you for having me.
2: So listen, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Central Valley Health Policy Institute? What do you do?
4: We are a research institute within Fresno State. And so we we both see ourselves very tied to our students and our faculty, but also very tied to the community. And so we are really kind of researchers of the community. Um, we we see ourselves tackling issues around health equity, um, which really is about how we can have everyone in the San Joaquin Valley have opportunities to achieve health.
2: Yeah, it's really important. I think one of the things that the university has really done, frankly, a really good job at is having uh, the academics like yourself uh, connect with the community. It's not just you know, educating students in the classroom, but really taking your expertise and trying to make the community a better place um, and, and tackle some of the really big problems. And air quality is one of them um, that we face as a region. So let me ask you about that. Um, what does the Valley's uh, poor air quality mean for the health of Valley residents?
4: More and more research shows us that um, everything from, even when we are in the womb to the time that we die, will be impacted by the air that we breathe. And so when it comes to um, maternal and infant um, mortality, um, they've been linked to environmental factors having to do with air pollution. Um, When it comes to even, learning and outcomes. Um, there's new studies going on here in the Central Valley that let us know that um, when children live near uh, um, freeways and things that impact their the air that they breathe, it affects everything from their metabolism to their cognitive function, and how well they can perform at school. So, and we definitely see the relationship between early death in those communities that are most severely burdened, um, and which we have some some of those in California, by air pollution, um, we see that those um, people die at much earlier than the rest of their peers. And so really we see that the trajectory of life is impacted by air quality. And in a place like the San Joaquin Valley, where we have a combination of geography, but also land use um, decisions that have impacted where people live and the air that they breathe. We see that there's, you know, um, some real issues uh, that that we need to tackle here.
2: Yeah. I just kind of, I think people have to understand that there's this is all interconnected, right? I mean, um, air quality leads to poor health outcomes, affects cognitive ability. Uh, A lot of this is happening in, in poor communities which have economic problems, which means those folks, maybe they're having a problem in school that they then can't get out of poverty because they can't get the education that they need. All this is interconnected. Um, So it has a lot of ramifications just beyond the immediate effect of health, uh, which I think you're kind of explaining. When I ask you this though, um, you kind of alluded to it. Some people say, you know what? Um, Air quality is really colorblind. It crosses jurisdictional boundaries. So uh, it affects everyone equally. Uh, Is that really true that... Uh, the health of all communities in the Valley is impacted equally, or are some communities more impacted than others?
4: What I like to frame this conversation as is, um, you know, when uh, there's a wildfire, for example, and, you know, some people have masks and others don't to protect them from the air that they're breathing in the wildfire. That's sort of the mask is a is a protective thing, and we've certainly seen it with COVID, right? Um, the, the thing of the mask. So, um, we have built some communities with more access to those things that protect us from poor air quality such as um, more parks more tree cover um, more um, places where we distance the 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 amount of of miles between let's say a very heavily heavy industry versus where somebody lives and plays and and also. That's that's awesome.
2: awesome it's also highways too right that some communities highways are built some through some of these poor communities
4: exactly impacted
2: by the air quality from the vehicles
4: and so we've we've designed some parts of our community to really be you know sort of have a mask over them a protective bubble that sort of insulates them and so we see in places like for example the city of fresno where we can have um really uh communities that are in the top 10 cleanest in our, um, in our state by uh, air pollution. And at the same time, within the same city, we have the most polluted census tract in California. Yeah, it's
2: interesting. You can see actually on a daily basis, something called purple air is one of the, the monitors or other monitors, and you can actually do it by neighborhood and you can see the the different levels of pollution and even within the, the say, the Fresno, Clovis metro area, you can see some are, you know, in the moderate or even good range where others are in the unhealthy range. Um, that's very instructive to take a look at some of those maps. Um, Let me ask you this. Do you think there's enough being done to improve the Valley's air quality? And if not, what else should we we be doing?
4: I think that we really have to think about how we plan our communities and the things that are going to impact them in the long run. We know that we have a huge housing crisis, for example, that we need to battle and deal with. But when we think about the impact that vehicles have on our communities, we also then have to see if we're gonna be expanding communities, how can we expand the public transportation system so that we are not further burdening those communities that live next to freeways, next to highways, next to roads um, and further impacting them because we have more cars traveling you know, back and forth between their place of work and where they live. And so I do think that planning communities is one of the most important um, pieces of the puzzle here in terms of that. And also really, um, I do see that in terms of some of the, the most impactful pollution here in the Valley does have to do with mobile sources of of pollution, which means trucks, cars, And so as much as we can build up our regional transportation system, but also be thinking about how we become not only um, consumers and sort of passive actors in the zero um, emissions vehicle infrastructure, but how we become leaders in that, um, that will be a huge step forward in terms of how we really begin to tackle some of these really big problems of air pollution that we have here in the Valley.
2: Yeah. And it might not even be that, that COVID, might be the silver lining is that through telework and through uh, maybe uh, delivery services who are using electric vehicles, maybe there's a way to reduce pollution that way. I want to thank our guest, uh, Dr. Tanya Pacheco-Werner with the uh, Fresno State's Central uh, Valley Health Policy Institute, as well as Tom Jordan, the senior policy advisor with the San Joaquin Valley Air District. If you want to stay current with state and local politics, you can log on to our website at maddieinstitute.org. This is Mark Kepler for the Maddie Report. Thanks for joining us. The views expressed in the Maddie Report are those of the individuals participating in the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the California Channel or the Maddie Institute. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the points and opinions expressed in the Maddie Report, visit our website at mattyinstitute.org. The Matty Report, Valley Views Edition, is a public affairs partnership between KMJ Radio, Cumulus Media, and the nonpartisan Maddie Institute, providing the Valley with valuable insight and analysis on politics and important public policy issues. This is
3: KMJ.